Well, welcome. This is uh, WNZN coming to you from Lorain, Ohio, and it's very happy uh, to say that we are glad you tuned in on this beautiful spring day. Uh, as we uh, look at another topic, especially during this time of the year, is not only going into spring weather, but also next week we'll start what we call Easter week. And uh, I'm here with my friend David Abood. David. Hey, John. Good to be here with you. And happy to have everybody that tuned yeah. in. And this is really, really a great time of the year. You know, we celebrate Christmas. Mm -hmm. Remember the Incarnation, which, of course, is extremely important <clears throat> because God became flesh and dwelt amongst us. But also now as we celebrate the resurrection, which in a sense, in some ways, is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. The, the death and resurrection is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. So I thought maybe this week and next week, because Good Friday will be actually a week tomorrow, and then of course Easter on Sunday, we'd start in and looking at the, the crucifixion of Jesus, what we call Good Friday, and why do we call it good? And we'll look at the Old Testament, New Testament, some particular uh, interesting points of the crucifixion, as well as the necessary, the need for Jesus to come and to die. You know, some people say, well, mm -hmm. why do you have to die? Why do yeah. you just teach the parables, lead a good example, and kind of leave the earth? We're going to look at that too. But it says, just to set this up, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 1 through 4, Paul writing says this, Moreover, brothers, I declare to you the gospel, which I preach to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. So he's saying, I've received it from others, now you got it, now you are saved by uh -huh. this gospel. Yeah. If you hold fast to the word which I preach to you. Then he says, for I delivered to you first of all, or first importance, that which I also received, that Jesus died for our sins according to to the scriptures see that yes. christ died for our sins that's <clears throat> first importance according mm -hmm. to the scriptures we're going to see uh, that's even in the old testament scriptures and secondly verse four and that he was buried and that he arose again the third day according to the scriptures that is your essential gospel message that's what separates christianity from any other religion mm -hmm. that basically has a teacher mm -hmm. or they claim a prophet not so with Christianity. Christianity had, puts forward a dying, rising Savior that's predicted 1,500 years in advance. And, of course, his impact upon humanity and human history from that point forward is it's just incredible that this, this singular man would leave such a mark on all of history. Yeah. Even if you're not a believer, you've got to at least look and say, well, what, what happened there? What the, the, the early followers professed this death and resurrection as the central cornerstone of their faith. Yeah. Let's examine this. Yep. Well, you know, the, this obviously brings up um, the question, you know, that I always ask too, until you inform me of why it was Good Friday mm. uh, when we started talking, because for me, it was just a horrible day. I, I remember um, on Good Friday, we'd go and do Stations of the Cross. I was a server boy. Mm -hmm. I know you were a server boy when you were younger, and it just was so sad. And uh, it seemed like every Good Friday at three o'clock, there'd be dark clouds, mm -hmm. And um, I never understood why it was called Good Friday um, uh, until we started to get into it. And um, so, you know, I, I think, as you just mentioned, it was a decisive turning point for all of creation. And um, without that day, there is no way that we would have the faith we, we did because uh, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, died for our sins, um, and then he rose on the third day, as you said. So that really is the uh, the focus and center of our belief system. Yeah. And so that that's why Good Friday is so good, is because you know Jesus agreed to die for our sins, to come down from his throne room where it was perfection, and die on the cross for us. Mm -hmm. And I, I think uh, now I understand why it's called Good Friday. As a matter of fact, Paul will say. We preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, yeah. it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are called both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The idea being that this is, again, his central mm -hmm. message is the crucifixion of Jesus. Yeah. He preaches Christ crucified. And um, 
of course, we teach the parables of Jesus, the sermons of Jesus. We, you know, but the mm -hmm. central point is that crucifixion, and then of course followed by the resurrection. Because as you say, Good Friday is good because through the shedding of the blood, we're told in the Old Testament, there's no remission of sins. So this Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, God is holy. You know, God is uh, love. Yeah. But he's also righteous. He's also just. Uh, he's also merciful. Well, how, how do you how can you satisfy all those attributes of God? You know, we'll say, well, he could just love and forgive automatically, but does that satisfy his holiness, his righteousness, his justice? Not really. If 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 sin yeah. separates us from God, and then like I said earlier, that um, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, and that's what was going on in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system told the Jewish people that they sin, and because yeah. they sin, something innocent is going to die that they might fully appreciate that sin equals death. And so when you come to the cross, somebody died that we could be forgiven. And we'll look at that in a minute. Yeah. But really, to start with the, I mean, really early. In I, terms add, one of, more, add one more thing, uh -huh. John, just to mention. So uh, isn't it true that in order for the good news of the gospel to have meaning for us, you know, I, I think this is really where we have to understand the bad news of our condition as sinful people um, under condemnation and, you know, the, the sins of, of Adam and Eve. And so we need the deliverance uh, of Christ to come down because we've been enslaved in death. And, and I think I never really understood that as a kid, uh, even as a, a server boy. So I think, you know, isn't that the importance of it for us to understand? And then it makes more sense why it's good news, because Jesus is going to save us from our enslavement. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it go, that goes back to the picture of Passover. Yeah. A thousand, fifteen hundred years before Jesus was crucified, the Jewish people were in slavery. Mm -hmm. They were in bondage. Pharaoh, a type of Satan, was yeah. very cruel. He was even killing the little baby boys. Mm -hmm. Well, they can't get out of there in their own strength. They can't mount a revolt. Yeah. Uh, Egyptians had the most powerful military at the time. So God sent Moses and the last plague or judgment on Egypt to get them out of that slavery condition was the blood of a innocent, spotless, unblemished lamb. Right. And the blood was put on the doorpost. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't make sense. I mean, we fought a civil war here in America to free slavery. You know, mm -hmm. a quarter of a million northern yeah. young men shed their blood that slavery slaves could be set free. Well, so too... When you put a, the blood of a lamb on a doorpost, that doesn't seem like that's going to get you out of slavery. Yeah. But it did because it was God's plan. And then when John, 1,500 years later, when John introduces Jesus at the River Jordan, he says, Behold the Lamb yes. of God who takes away the sins of the world. Therefore, if we or anybody, whomsoever will, gets under the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, perfect sacrifice, we are released out of yes. the house of bondage, yes. slavery, oppression. Do you understand? It, yeah, you know, connective that is tissue so important. Is so, it's, yes. it's so, once you see this, David, you cannot not see it. You see what I'm saying? That's why Jesus says early on to Nicodemus, a very religious man in John chapter 3, he says, look, you must be born again. And, and, he, and he, this is a religious man. He's probably a moral guy. He's a teacher of the law. But Jesus says, you must be born again. And then he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too must the Son of Man be lifted on it, that whoever looks upon him will have everlasting life. Yeah. Well, in the, the again, go back to the Old Testament, mm -hmm. 1,500 years before Jesus made that statement. Right. Jewish people are out of slavery. They're in the wilderness, and they're complaining. They're moaning, they're groaning, they're complaining. And Moses prays. And what happens is God sends these serpents, right? And they start biting the people. And the people repent. They're, yeah. they're crying yeah. out. And God says to Moses, take a serpent, a brazen serpent made out of bronze, mm -hmm. put it on a stick, lift it up. Everybody that looks on that will be healed. That, that seems strange. I never understood that. It, it is yeah. very strange yeah. because... I mean, if you get bit by a snake today, a poisonous right. snake, you got you got anti-venom and it, toxins. And, but what was it a picture of? Jesus said, just as it happened back there, so too the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever looks on him, believe, 
should have everlasting life. Yeah, well, and, and why was the serpent used? Uh, because obviously we think of the enemy as a serpent. Right. In the garden. Right. <clears throat> so is that to say that the serpent was put to death with Christ's crucifixion? No, no, not exactly. Okay. The serpent was a picture of sin. Okay, yeah, it, it, right. But what does the scripture say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? He who knew no sin became sin, sin right. for us, right. that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see that? how the perfect yeah. picture fits together? Yeah. And, and so that's why we'll see. It's not like all we're told to do is look upon him and believe, right? Just like right. when they looked on that mm -hmm. serpent in the Old Testament, they were healed of snake bite. Well, we're all snake bit. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it also says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him mm -hmm. should not perish. Do you understand? So we don't have to do a million things and we don't have to sell all our possessions and we don't have to, you know, all this other stuff, make special pilgrimages. Just by faith, we turn from sin and by faith, we believe that Jesus Christ died for us, died for me. And by that, we can mm -hmm. receive eternal life. It's a free gift. It sure is. And it's, it's so easy, you know, for us. I mean, and to think that God, uh, God's wrath against sin was poured out on his own son yeah. for us. Yes. I mean, that, that's the part that's really brutal. But I don't think there could be a more extreme love, uh, show of love than that. That's why at Good Friday we comprehend that. We yeah. try to, we try to yeah. personalize that in the sense we think, you know. Right. It's almost like if, if I was dying of... I don't know, cancer, but cancer of the liver or something. And I and, and and the guy, the doctor says you got three months to live, right? And then all of a yeah. sudden, I hear my uncle on the West Coast. He has a match in terms of the uh, blood type and DNA and mm -hmm. tissue type. And I go to surgery and I come out perfectly yeah. healed, right? right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm good to go. The surgeon says it was success. And then I say, well, what about the, my uncle that did this? And he says, well, it's sad to say he died. Right. To give you life. Yeah. He gave. And then as you, as you, how much would you appreciate that uncle? You know what I'm saying? He laid down his life that I might live. But then after, here's the interesting note, David. He just didn't give his life. Then a month later, you get this will that's been written out. And <laughs> yeah. you find out he left you something. He left you this and he left you that. See, that's part yeah. of our inheritance. Yes. See, when the prodigal came back to the father in repentance, he just didn't get forgiveness. Right. He got the ring, he got the robe, he got the shoes, he got the feast, he got the, 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 the fellowship, right? So too, the Bible says, Jesus came to give us life, that's salvation, mm -hmm. and life more abundantly. Peace, purpose, power, direction, a uh, sense of community, uh, the ability to lay up treasures in heaven. You see, so it's continual. But the, to your original point, yeah. the more we reflect on Jesus Christ, totally perfect, sinless, pure, willingly. They didn't, we're going to look at that in a minute. Nobody yeah. took his life from him. He says, nobody takes my life from me. I give it willingly. He laid down his life. Right. So he wasn't like, you know, yeah. he, says, he says, right now to Peter, I could call for 12 legions of angels. I could pray. And all of a sudden, scorched earth. Nobody's taken mm -hmm. my life from me. Never think that. But he came and willingly laid it down on our behalf. That's pretty powerful. So, you know, John, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about why it took me so long to become a Christian and, and start to see this. You know, I, I never really looked at it uh, prior to about eight years ago that, <clears throat> that I, I was hopeless in my condition. Um, that, you know, I, there was nothing past my life here on earth and I seemed okay with it, but I also thought that if I showed up to church every Sunday for an hour, if there is a heaven, I may have a chance of getting into it. And that's the only thing I thought about. Right. And even being a server boy, I hate to keep bringing that up, but you would think a server boy would be more instructed right. to understand this whole thing sooner in life than later. I'm not blaming anybody, but uh, I'm saying that I never captured this. I just thought showing up for an hour, you know, folding my hands, uh, doing the server boy routine, that I had a chance to get into eternity if there was one. Right. So um, I, I think, is that one of the biggest things that hold people back from doing this walk with Christianity in your mind from what you've seen 
is the fact that we really don't think our situation is that dire? Yeah, I think it's a good question, David, because I think it's there's it's multi-level. Number one, yeah. you're right. I think most people, uh, we don't think we're that bad because we compare ourselves to somebody else, right? Well, the problem with that, we tend to exalt our own righteousness and yeah. we diminish the holiness of God. Right. We don't understand how holy God is. The Bible calls him a consuming fire. It calls him all holy, all pure. He, his eyes can't even behold yeah. wickedness. And we don't understand how wicked we are Mm-mm. in our deeds, in our words, in our thoughts, okay? Yeah. But the Bible reveals that. It's like uh-huh. a mirror, which is really good. Now, what you just said about, I hope my good deeds and my bad deeds kind of weigh out here. Right. That's, that is normal, yeah. human, fallen human uh, thinking mm-hmm. because we think it's a scale. Right. Okay, if I can do enough good deeds that's going to weigh my bad deeds... That's 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 common to man because that's what man thinks because he doesn't realize the holiness of God. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about this, we could never. The Bible says we can never do a good enough good deeds to right. make ourselves righteous in God's right. eyes. Yeah. it's only through a free gift. Let me give you a, a little yeah. illustration. Um, there was an example of a guy that was fishing north uh, of the Niagara Falls, up on okay. the Niagara uh-huh. River. Okay, yeah. and he kind of dozed off a little bit. And before he knows it, his rowboat is going down. The river and yeah. it's headed towards the falls, which is a big drop and it's instant death, right? Yeah. And so he's rowing as fast as he can to get away from that current, which is very mm-hmm. strong. Yeah. Well, these people on shore see him and they get these lifelines, these ropes, okay, and they go to throw it out to him, but he keeps rowing yeah. against the thing. Now, the only way he can be saved if he does what? Drops the oars yep. and reaches out yep. to the lifeline. Right. Because rowing on his own strength, That's a good point, he's going to yeah. go. That's a great visual. See? Yeah. But if he, he drops his good work, drops what he's his self effort, and reaches out to that rope on shore, that salvation, he's going to be safe. Yep. Okay. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is destruction, and that's why it's so hard to believe in a free gift. For God so loved the world that He gave. You see, David. We, we, we always say, well, we're, we're really into self-effort. Yes. And uh, I want to do it myself. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to gain eternal life? You know, this kind of a thing. Well, it's, it's simply a free gift. Yeah. You receive it by faith. That's yeah. why it says in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are you saved through faith. So grace is that rope reaching out to that guy. Okay, Faith is him willing to drop his oars and reach out a whole lot of that rope. That's right. And once he gets to shore, he should learn how to throw the rope out to other people that are going downstream over the falls. Great disciples. Yeah, Jan, that's a tremendous visual. So if you look at this, David, and again, we may even go into next week's show with this because there's so much just on the Good Friday and the crucifixion. But many have suggested that you see this start way back in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. Mm -hmm. After Adam and Eve turn their back on God, disobey God. Right. And God says... When he comes to judge the woman and the man and Adam, he says to the woman, I will put enmity between you, that's Satan, the serpent, and the woman, Uh and between your seed and her seed. Well, her seed, the the woman, (coughs) this has a suggestion, a hint of the virgin birth right here, Mm -hmm. because usually the male carries the seed, of course. He says... He, this promised seed, shall bruise your head. Yes. That's that's the means the headshot. That's uh-huh. the, to, to, but in the process, look what it says. You shall bruise his heel. So this hints at the crucifixion. Yeah. And of course, in Isaiah, it says about Jesus, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. So right up here, you see the hints at the virgin birth. It hints at the destruction of Satan and his power, but it also hints at this coming promised one is going to suffer in that process. And then, of course, what happens later, we see that God will cover them with animal skins. Right. Well, what does that tell us? It's God's program. He initiates this. It right. wasn't. Yeah. Number two, the innocent dies for the guilty. Yes. What did the animal do? Nothing. Number. It required death. It required shedding of blood. And number, it was the adequate clothing for Adam and Eve. So, so right from the beginning, we're starting to get this hint, and we'll see this run through the scriptures. Yeah. Uh, go on, Dave. Uh, you know, I, I wrote down a verse, uh, Apostle Peter makes it personal for us. I wrote 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. Uh, he writes, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things 
like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So... That contains a lot, but what the yeah. big thing there yeah. is we're redeemed right. by the blood of the Lamb. And of course, redeem means to buy back. It's, it's an old term, but it has a modern day implication, if, like pawn shop, you know. Yeah, and, and, and we can't pay our way out of it. You know, that's what, you know, the silver and gold, it doesn't matter what we do, as you said. It's all about Christ and his uh, sacrifice for us. So That's some the only people way think, well, if I give a big donation, yeah. if I give the charity, those are good things to do, sure, sure. but it will not save you. <clears throat> Here, here's right. where people lose it. I, mean, I think mm-hmm. I lost it too before I came to understand yeah. and receive Jesus. We are saved. We are not saved by good works, but mm-hmm. we are saved for good works. Do you understand? It says that in Ephesians chapter 2. It's a yeah. very important thing. We are not saved <laughs> yeah. by good works, yeah. but we are definitely saved for good works. Yeah. And by good works, I mean charitable giving, mm-hmm. praying for others, helping praying others, disciples. sharing the gospel, make yeah. disciples, right. um, on and on, visit yeah. the sick, write letters to the imprisoned, whatever it might be, just daily life. Uh, but that's you cannot get that reversed. Yeah. You can't get that yeah. reversed. You're right. And, and that that's the story of man-made religions. Mm-hmm. They reverse it. So then another little hint we're going to get of the um, coming crucifixion is the famous account in Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to go from the old to the new on this oh, sure. a little bit. Yeah, let's, uh, let's look at Genesis 12. Uh, 22. This oh, is uh, Abraham. 22. God calls Abraham. And um, we know he, he's a man of faith. He's, he's described as by Jewish and Muslim and Christian as Father Abraham or the father of the faithful. But... There's probably no other father figure so much like Abraham. But and we know he has multiple tests. But the uh-huh. big test, the big test in his life of faith was in chapter 22 of Genesis. Yes. When he's spoken by God, and he says in verse 1, mm-hmm. I don't know if you have that, David. I do. Okay, if you'd read verse sure. 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Okay, so now we see this is a test Abraham's going to have. Mm -hmm. And it says, he says, take your son, your only son. That's a very important word there. Uh And then he says, whom you love. Now that's, this is sounding like a lot like John Mm 3.16, for God so loved. The world, the world that he gave his, his only, only son. begotten son. son. Yeah. So what happens, Abraham rises early. He takes two men with him. Okay? It says that, right? Yes. And he has split wood. In other words, for the sacrifice, mm-hmm. it was a sacrificial offering. They're going to go. And he comes. He sees the place far off. He says to the young man, verse 5, stay here. Me and the boy will go up and worship. And then what does he say in verse 5? We will come back. Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back. We will you. come back. He's going up to offer him. Yeah. But this implies Abraham might have understood re- uh, resurrection. Because huh. he's going down, he's coming up on the third day. So Abraham took the wood of burnt offering. And who does he put it on? Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Isaac. Who carries the wood? The crucifixion. Christ. Jesus, the obedient son, yeah. the only son, right? And he himself carried the fire and the knife. Okay. So and he carried the, the weapon that was going to kill him. Exactly right. Oh my gosh. Wow. And then it says, yeah. Isaac spoke to Abraham. He says, Father, and he said, here I am, my son. And he said, look at the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? See, this <laughs> is a very important question. Where is the lamb? In the Old Testament, there's no perfect lamb. That's why they had to repeat. Every year mm-hmm. they had to repeat yes. repeated sacrifice. Right, right. It says that in the book mm-hmm. of Hebrews. There's never been a perfect sacrifice right. until Christ comes. So the whole Old Testament about it, where is the lamb? How does John introduce Jesus at the River Jordan? Behold the, the, the lamb. lamb of God who There's takes the away perfect the lamb. The world, right? That's yeah. your New Testament. Right. And eternity, we just did the mm-hmm. study of the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. when all of us are around the throne, every family, tongue, kindred, nation, we're going to say what? Worthy is the Lamb. 
Old Testament, where is the Lamb? Yeah. New Testament, behold the Lamb. In eternity, we say, mm -hmm. worthy is the Lamb. Mm -hmm. You see the connective yes. tissue? Yeah. And it all has this idea of um, sacrifice. It's just not like a pet lamb or something like this. Mm -hmm. It's a lamb that was slain. Mm -hmm. Remember when we see the yes. throne room in uh, Revelation <clears throat> chapter... Uh, Is that 17? Uh, or? Chapter 4. 5. Oh, five? Chapter 5. Okay. The lamb that was slain. Right. The lamb that was slain. Even there in the book of Revelation. So yeah. you see this. That's the visual of Christ even in the in the you know end of times. I in, mean, in the, the that's time. the throne room. Exactly right. Yeah. So here we see he lays them down on the altar and then of course God stops that mm -hmm. and then he lifts them up. There you have right. a type of death <clears throat> and resurrection. Yeah. And it'll say this in Hebrews chapter eleven that he did this in kind of a figure or type of what was to come. Yeah. Type of death, resurrection. You see, same thing with Adam. When God puts him in a deep sleep, puts him down, out of his side, he fashions woman, Eve, and then he goes down and he comes up in a resurrection. And, of course, Jesus is the second Adam. It'll say that in Romans chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So you're starting to see these threads that are weaving themselves into this tapestry of God's redemptive plan. Yeah. You know, so as you move forward in this, uh, we're going to get to Good Friday, but all of this is leaning and moving towards Good Friday. Let me say that. And so, really, when you study the Gospels, they are loaded. Each one has the account of Good Friday. And Good Friday, of course, is preceded by our Lord coming in on Palm Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday. But that is the one time he, he allows himself to be publicly received as a king. Remember, they lay down the palm yes. leaves, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is the big uh, turning, so to speak, uh, that he is now coming in uh, on Palm Sunday. And of course, he's basically given himself up uh, to be uh, to be crucified. And what's going to happen here, of course, we re realize is he's going to, uh, he's, he doesn't even open his mouth in his own defense. No. You know, there's multiple that, trials. And, you know, I, I think I think about this one a lot, John. Matthew 20, 28, as Jesus says of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Um yeah, he, he gave up so much, and, and I think, yeah, he sacrificed his life, which was the most he could have done. Right. But, you know, even when you look at uh, the fact that he almost exhausted himself through giving to others, you, you think about everything else that he gave up. You know, his he, he didn't get, he wasn't looking for fame or the prestige of healing people. He didn't have any wealth with him when he died. He wasn't able. He didn't have his own family or raise his own children to experience that. Uh, so there's so much that he gave up, and uh, to think about the obedience to his father. I mean, man. And, and then you know, a question for you is: Do you think he knew this when he was even a young boy that this is, or did that, you know, yeah, did, did he, he grow into that? Well, I mean, knowing that he was going to have to die. It says uh, in Luke that he grew in... Like, when did he become aware of, of that, of this fact, do you think? Well, probably very early. I mean, yeah. it does say in Luke that he uh -huh. um, he grows in stature... Uh, how does it say it exactly? He grows in stature and wisdom, uh, both with man and with God. The idea being here, of course, that he... Um, uh, you know, he, he, he's a human being, right. so he's growing mm -hmm. uh, in, in awareness. But early on, I mean, even at age 12 when he's in the temple, yeah. he's sitting in the temple. Right. Uh, and then it says that uh, his you know, Joseph and Mary say, why are you here? What do you, yeah. Didn't you know we thought you were lost? He says, did you not know I must be about my father's business? Yeah, that's Luke 2. Luke 2 in Luke chapter uh, 49. Two, yeah. verse 51, it says, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was mm -hmm. subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Mm -hmm. So he's fully divine, but he's growing in his humanity. You know, he's a little boy and he, you know, he grows to young manhood. So you have this blending there of the divine and the human, you know. Yeah. I always say, you see his humanity when he's asleep in the boat going across Galilee. But when the storms come and the wind's blowing and, the, and everything, the waves are tossing, he gets up and speaks two words, and you see his deity displayed. He calms the sea in an instant, and the wind stop in an instant. 
Yeah, and I also wrote down the verse Luke six thirty one. You know, even if we look uh, deeper beyond his sacrificial death, um, he equally, um, you know, his daily walk was an example of the golden rule: do for others what we would have them do for us. Uh, just because of his, um, you know, his servant heart and everything that he did, and you know, that is really convicting for me because uh, I think about how I run my daily life. And uh, I don't know that I follow that every day by any stretch. Um, so, you know, it's, it's important, I think, when you become Christians. And John, didn't you find that the more the length of your Christian walk, that you become more aware of how far away from Christ we are? And yet we're supposed to be getting closer to him. We're supposed to be uh, evolving or transforming ourselves into a Christ figure right. for others to see, right? Yeah, right. Isn't that the whole program? Yes, that's yeah. we'll be conformed to the image of Christ. That's yeah. what's called our sanctification, mm -hmm. David. Yeah. That um, the idea being that we should, the old man should be dying, you know, right. the, you know our old self, and the new man should be growing. Mm -hmm. And it says in Second mm -hmm. Peter chapter three verse eighteen, we should be growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so that's why, like today, if you look back where you were 10 years ago, you'll say, I can't believe I did some of that stuff. I could, you know, let alone 20 years ago, you know. But by the same token, sitting here today, if we're sitting in this room a year from now, we would hope that we've all grown yeah. somewhat in that Christ-likeness. That's, that's the yeah. beauty of the Christian faith. It's not what they call um, static. Mm -hmm. It's just not one and done. It's dynamic. It's, it's like growth. It's like a, you know, a tree. It's a seed, it's a seedling, it grows up the branch, and then before you know it's a tree, and it's sprouting fruit and flowers and everything else, you see. So, yeah. too, the Christian life is similar to that. So, as we move forward towards Good Friday, uh, we're coming the long way in on this. Right. But in John, we see, starting in chapter 18, there's his arrest. Now, a couple of things going on here, and this is going to set up the Good Friday scenario. Remember that he comes in four days prior to this on Palm Sunday. Right. He's going to allow himself to be examined. Mm -hmm. There's going to be three civil trials and three what we call religious trials with the Sanhedrin. But if you study in Passover, remember we talk about the Passover lamb? Yes. How many uh -huh. days before they kill the lamb were they supposed to get it? Four days. Mm -hmm. And what would they do before they kill the lamb? Inspect it to see if it had what? Any blemish. Any spot or uh -huh. blemish. Uh -huh. And we're going to look at the number of unbelievers that say this is an innocent man. Right. Everyone from Herod's right. wife to Herod on down. Even Judas will say, I betrayed innocent blood. So my point being, <laughs> you've got this thing going like this, yeah. David. The details of this story. I mean, it's so, well, I encourage people, unbelievers, just to look at it. Just to examine the evidence and to say to yourself... No man or man can put this together like a Shakespeare or a Harry Potter or something like this. This thing is too nuanced. It's too detailed. And the more you get into it, the more you see it. It's like looking at a... I always compare it to taking the back off a really nice Swiss watch. Remember in the old days? Yeah, my right. dad used to uh -huh. collect these yeah. watches. You take the back off and you see these wheels turning. But you'd also see jewels and diamonds. Everything's perfectly fitting together. That's like the Bible. Yeah. It's just fitting together, man. And... The, I, I think uh, the way to uh, to articulate that again is the fact that it was written over 1,500 years with 40 different authors that were in different locations yeah. and lived during different times. And look at the occupation. Yeah. Shepherds, it, right. kings, peasants. I mean, it was across the board. Yeah. So how did that happen if it wasn't the Word of God? How did it become so seamless and so accurate? From the Old Testament to right. the New. How Unified. did that happen? Yeah, How do you explain it? Singular story. One author. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so here we have in chapter 18 of John, right. mm -hmm. he allows himself to be... A couple interesting things here. Uh, one, we know the storyline. I mean, you know that yeah. Jesus realized, you know, he told his followers, I'm going to be delivered up. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be crucified. Uh -huh. And they don't always get it. But he, that's a repeated message in the Gospels. Now, this is it. He's up at Gethsemane. They're coming for him. It says, verse 3, they got detachment of troops, officers from the chief priests. They're coming there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. This is a mob. This is basically like a lynch mob, right? Yeah. Notice Jesus, verse 4, knowing all things that would come upon him, he goes forward to them. 
See, he, he's not backing away. He's not. He's going forward to them. Yeah. One of the reasons he's doing it, they think, is to put the apostles in the background. He doesn't want, you know, they're not going to get killed because usually if you're going to catch a revolutionary or a rebel, you're going to get his closest followers. But he goes forward. Yeah. He's, no, he's not hiding from yeah. death. Yeah. And, but look at what happens here. I have it up. Which verse? Look, look at verse uh, 4 and 5. Jesus, knowing that all was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now hold it here. Yeah. Remember when we studied the Gospel of John, we talked about his seven miracles mm -hmm. and his seven I am statements to the followers, right? right? Mm -hmm. Here he says, I am he to the enemies. Okay, they're coming after him, this lynch mob. When he says that, what do they do? They drop to the ground. Now, these are people that aren't yeah. used to falling to the ground for nothing. Right. The proud soldiers, mm -hmm. temple guard with lanterns, mm -hmm. with swords. Mm -hmm. And all he says is, I am he. And they drop. Do, do you, and what do you what do you make of that? Was it just his supernatural power that... I think it was the and, power of yeah. his... But I also think this hints to the end of the age. Yeah. In Revelation, it says when he returns, how does he slay all his enemies? I don't know if you remember, but in Megiddo, mm. in the end of the book of Revelation, he doesn't engage him in battle. Mm. He simply speaks the word, mm. and his word is like a sword. Right. And it cuts him down. Right. This could be a little prefigure of that. That's you know? interesting, Jen. Yeah. I never actually connected those two. But any, um, anyhow, mm -hmm. he, he, he presents himself, and then, of course, um, we know what Peter does. He takes a sword uh, and, and slashes yeah. the high priest's servant. Right. And he cuts off his right ear. Um, notice the detail Luke has. doesn't say just cut his ear. Cut the right ear, mm -hmm. right? It's very yeah. specific. Yeah. And he knows the servant's name is Malchus. <laughs> and, but Jesus says something. Put up your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father gives me? In other words, don't pre prevent this from happening, Peter. Don't try to protect me. I've told you all along. But I think it's a lesson for Christians all through history, David. We never take up the sword or a weapon to share the gospel or even to protect the name of Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's, now we protect our homes. We protect our country. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But we never, as a missionary, we don't go or we don't share the gospel out of force or compulsion or you better believe or else. Do you understand? Yeah. That's a very important point because there's nothing worse than when a Christian or people that identify themselves Christians do something in the name of Jesus, attack something or destroy something. It's not like that. It's it's a free gift that's freely offered. If you want to receive it, you receive it. If you don't, you don't. Yeah. End of story. Mm -hmm. We don't have to, you know, no compulsion, no force. Like some religions will actually force you. You will not live in that village unless you believe this and this and that. Or you're going to pay a higher mm -hmm. tax if you don't believe what we believe. Not so with Christianity. Just side point on that. That's why wherever you see most Judeo-Christian countries in the world, America, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, Great Britain, they usually have a lot of tolerance for people of different beliefs. Right. You might have a synagogue here, a mosque right. here, a Buddhist temple, or an atheist society here. We don't, we're not against it. See, why? But other countries don't allow that kind of freedom. They just got theirs and theirs alone. Why is that? I'll tell you. Light does not fear darkness, but darkness fears the light. Mm -hmm. Light does not fear darkness, but darkness fears the light. When you have the truth, mm -hmm. you present it. If other people come in with falsehood, you don't, again, you don't beat them up. You don't throw them in prison. You right. say, okay, but consider this. Look what we have. Look what, look what we have in Jesus. I say that only because we live in a day and age, I think it's always been through church history, where believers or so-called believers should never take up force. To, you know, to, to, to destroy somebody because they don't believe what we believe. Let alone, we don't want to see anybody de de defame the name of Jesus or God. That's blasphemy, right? And it's common out mm -hmm. there. It's the one religious founder who, whose name is used as a curse word. But we wouldn't kill people if they said that. You see what I'm saying? I mean, we don't like it, but if unbelievers would say that, we... Like you said to friends that are some, I wish you wouldn't say that. But if somebody had a cartoon and they mock it out in the movies and all this, mm -hmm. but we're not going to kill them or blow them up. We hallow God's name, but unbelievers don't. 
thus we were like that once, I guess is what I'm saying. But we don't strike out at them. And that's yeah. common in some parts of the world where they'll strike at people that say anything against their founder's name. Yeah. Okay. Right. So we're getting a lot of side trails, but I think some of this groundwork is necessary. Oh, it is. So yeah. now we see these trials coming. Yep. The first one in John, in, in verse 12, you see this idea. It's a, This is one of the religious trials. Later on in that chapter before, there'll be another religious trial. The thing here is um, Jesus does not defend himself. Yeah. He does not defend right. himself. And all this is a prelude, of course, to his crucifixion. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting where Pilate will come into him. Look at verse 33 and 34 of this same chapter. Okay. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he, of course, Jesus says... My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. See what I was just talking about? about yes. fighting? So that I should not be delivered to the Jews. In other words, he doesn't need protection. He's offering his life. Now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate says to him, you are a king now. Yep. And he says, you say truly, I am a king. Yep. I always find it interesting. Jesus was born a king. He dies a king. Remember in Bethlehem, the wise men come with gifts to give to the king. Even now, even Pilate, you are a king now. For this cause I was born into the world. I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. That's his goal, to yes. bear witness. Remember yeah. that? Yep. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. See, if you're not of God, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't hear these words, right, David? Yes. And I was yeah. like that. I couldn't understand this book before I, I became a believer, 1975. There's very bright people that they think this book is a joke. They do. But if, once yeah. you become a believer, mm -hmm. you are into this word yeah. and you understand it. And so the truth is that he was the son of God and that he came to deliver us from our, our enslavement, our death. And, uh, and he, was, he was basically set up to be the perfect sacrifice. And that's the main truth. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I can't, uh, I, I think the big challenge too is a lot of people will just consider him a prophet, John, and a very good man, one of the best prophets ever to walk the earth, but not God incarnated. Yes, yeah, I, I agree. And so, David. but he's telling us, "I'm, I'm him." Uh, I, the, it, that's the truth. Yeah, I mean, and then everything flows from that. The, yeah. the, then it, then you can see that, you know, all the way back to Adam and Eve, from the time immediately that that happened, God had a plan for yeah, us. Right. You know, right away. Right through, through and through. Right away. You know, so C.S. Lewis. That, that's says, fantastic. It just, yeah. It's, it's a good point, David. C.S. Lewis said, "Look, mm -hmm. Jesus is either." A lunatic? In yeah. other words, like somebody say, yeah, hey, I'm Napoleon, right. or I'm Caesar uh -huh. the Great, or something. You just think, whoa, this guy's got yeah. a problem. He's, got he's lunatic. <laughs> he's a liar. Right. He knew he wasn't, but he's uh -huh. making these, or he's Lord. Now, we know he's not a lunatic. doesn't do what this man does. Okay. But the idea of a liar, why would anybody lie, let alone do miracles, let alone give parables in the Sermon on the Mount? These, these things are written, these things change the course of human history, just these sayings alone, right? Mm-hmm. Why would somebody say he can forgive sins? Why yeah. did his believers say he went up to heaven in a cloud of glory? Why Why does everything point to the only answer, which is he's Lord? He is yeah. who he says he is. Yes. All lines point to that. All yeah. lines point. But here's the problem. To, to come fully to understand that, you, knowledge will take you so far. We mm -hmm. can give people facts. We will next week look at some historical yeah. evidence, even by non-Christian mm -hmm. writers. Yep. But it requires you, knowledge will take you to the door, right? But belief will open that door and get you in where you go, I know. I know now. It's true. You see, <laughs> knowledge will get you so far. But faith will open that door and get you into that realm. Yeah, you know, J. Warren Wallace, uh, you know, he was the uh, atheist. Uh, he was the homicide detective turned into a Christian. Yeah. And he said one of the biggest things holding him back, and he really dove in in a methodical, detective manner. And, you know, if you read one of his books, you gave sure. me his book a while back, and I just couldn't believe the detail that he went through. And then he realized the only reason he didn't see that Jesus was the son of God is because he was in the way. He kept jumping over hurdles to say, well, now there's, yeah, right. there's an explanation for that. But then he realized that the only reason, he, the only thing holding him back from understanding that this was the son of God 
was himself. Exactly. And, you know, the importance of uh, following Christ and being a Christian, one of our favorite apostles was Paul, and he teaches in Philippians 3, and think about his life, for example. He said, you know, if uh, that he had just about anything a person could want before he became a Christian, the right genes, the right social standing, the right education, the right enthusiasm, and the right reputation. And then he writes, but he writes, what things were gained to me, these I have counted as a loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from dead. Uh, Philippians 3, 7 to 11. Yeah, right. So he's saying that's that's the Holy Grail. That's all we, we need to, to have yeah. to be completely fulfilled. Exactly right. That's our gain. Yeah. All this other stuff is rubbish. It's all going to the dump site. You right, know, in a matter right. of a few years. Yeah. The most yeah. important Including thing. Including our physical bodies. You're right. Yeah. The most important thing in life is relationships. Right. It just is. Mm-hmm. And that's even on the natural human. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. And then, and then if this is true, then it answers man's biggest relationship. And that is God, God and man relationship. How can we be in right relationship with God? Well, people strive and they do this and mm-hmm. they do that. But Jesus offers us the way. He says, you come this way. You're going to have a relationship. You know, God is going to be in you. You're yeah. going to have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard for people. You know, it kind of flies over their head because it's kind of got a simple. At different levels, it's simple. At other levels, we're going to see it's very nuanced. It's very, yeah. very, very beautifully complex. Right. But now Jesus is ready to go through these trials. Mm-hmm. And again, I said there's these three trials. You know, religious and then civil. But there's something else, and this is just teeing us up, really, because I can see by the material we're going to have to do this next week yep. again. It is second trial in verse 39 in this same chapter, 18, David. Look what it says in Well, 30, which book? I'm sorry, I lost uh, Gospel of John. Okay. He's in, he's in this trial before Pilate, but in verse 39 and um, 40, okay. it's very interesting if you read that. Yeah, give me a second. We'll start wrapping it up on uh, but this. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Okay, now this is important. Yeah. Now this is not uncommon in the old days. Because uh, I saw this in, in Thailand. Mm-hmm. On the king's birthday he would often release prisoners. Mm. It's like an act of mercy. And of course, mm-hmm. foreigners that were often in prison for drug charges, they would mm-hmm. some of them would get released. It was just, he would, I don't know if it was random or what, but he'd just release some out. This is not uncommon. Mm-hmm. So Pilate at this time, he's calling Jesus king of the Jews. Do <laughs> you see that? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying he believes it, but he's, he's giving him that title. But he says, I'm gonna, he's thinking, I don't know, if I put Jesus here and Barabbas on the other side, the people want Jesus. He never did any wrong. He taught. He healed. You know, all, but they say, give us Barabbas. Now, this is interesting on several levels, and we'll start drawing this to a close here. Number one, if you study the other Gospels, you'll find out he's a thief, he's a murderer, and he's a revolutionary. He's a rebel. Now, probably... If, they, if they're doing these multiple executions, because mm-hmm. when Jesus executed, he's executed with the yeah. two other thieves, uh-huh. th- he may have been the third cross. This may have been his execution day the next day, because I'm going to release one of these guys, but the other's going to be executed. So what's going on here, this very, very guilty man is being released because who's taking his place? Jesus. Yeah. Now, how do you think he felt when he goes out of those chains and out of that prison and he looks over and sees the crowd and he sees that middle cross that he knew he would have been on? Oh, yeah. But now he's free. Right. Do you understand? Yes. There's a very powerful image going oh, yeah. on here. Yeah. So, so they say, give us Barabbas. Now, if you study, again, with the rap sheet on this guy, a murderer, mm-hmm. a thief, and a rebel. Well, who has those characteristics? Satan. Yep. What does Barabbas mean? Bar means son, son of, Barjona, Barja, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. son of. Abba means father, son of the father. He's a type of Satan. Jesus is the son of God. This guy is a type of the son of Satan. And they're saying, give us him. 
give us him. The world's saying the same thing today, David. We don't want Jesus. Just give us this worldly system. Give us what, all this sin. Give us all this. But again, he releases him and Jesus takes the hit. Yeah. Really substitutionary right then, right there. Remember what it said way back in Genesis? The seed of the woman will crush the head mm -hmm. of the seed of the devil, the Satan. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's a beautiful picture there. It is. So now the trial is coming, and, mm -hmm. and Pilate's going to scourge him in chapter 19, mm -hmm. thinking that mm -hmm. that's going to be enough. And it, scourging is not whipping. Whipping your, is by straps, by leather. This, this scourging, some historians call it the first death because what happened, there, there was like bone and chain and pieces of metal, yeah. and they would slap slash you with it mm -hmm. and pull back would yeah. pull out tissue yeah. and i had a surgeon friend he says what would happen is your loss of blood shock blood tissue that you might die just of shock alone and this some ways it suggests what Je we're going to see next week when jesus starts carrying that cross beam or the whole yeah. cross he, he has a hard time getting up to where he's going to be executed. And that's why they have to call this guy over, Cyrene, uh, Simon, Simon of Cyrene, to help him because he's struggling. He's lost blood. He's been beaten. It says they beat him. Uh, they put a crown of thorns on his head. Uh, they, 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 they call him king of the Jews. They struck him with their hands. These are soldiers. They're beating him mercilessly. But, but they're shaming him. They're uh, mm -hmm. humiliating him. But notice he's he's almost I would suggest near death right here uh, once this process yeah. starts. Yeah. And he can you imagine he is mm -hmm. struggling to get to the, where he can mm -hmm. die, mm -hmm. so he can die for us. He can maybe just collapse on the ground and expire yeah. right. There. But he's struggling mm -hmm. to achieve the Father's will on our behalf. Gosh. And we'll pick this up next week, David, okay. because I think it's such an important topic, and we want to look at the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. Because those seven sayings That's a good idea. has implications mm -hmm. for us to this very day. Yep. And so I want to just say a, a closing uh, blessing on everybody that's listening today. As Again, we go into what was called Passion Week next week or the week prior, Easter week, I guess you would call it. Good Friday and then would come uh, Resurrection Sunday. But there's so much here that we as believers can look and just look afresh at what Jesus has done for us in, yes. in his trials in, in false accusation. We're going to show, David, we'll chart with the emotional thing he has suffered and the physical. Abandonment, yeah. betrayal, oh. a mockery, shame, wrongly accused. And then on the other side, laceration, yeah. punch, yeah. punctured, uh, thirst, dehydration, mm -hmm. and go all the way down that line. Man. And so we can never say, God doesn't know what I'm going through. Yep. He felt everything. You see what I'm saying? In identifying with human beings. So again, thank you for all listening. Thanks, David, for the insights. Thanks, Sean. Great and to be here. We look forward next week, God willing. We're yes. going to get closer into Good Friday and the crucifixion, and then we're going to go beyond that in the weeks uh, to talk about the Easter. It's yep. that important. Yes. God bless you all, God and have a great you. week. Have a great weekend.